Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Wilgerholz. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today. Welcome aboard E2247 of the world. Welcome aboard. We also have Bridge MCP. Welcome aboard Paul Fleming from Atlanta, Georgia. Of course, E2247 all over. And uh, we have Michael Rutnin from uh, Brooklyn, New York. And we have Yvette Avery Herod. Yvette, we missed you yesterday from Atlanta, Georgia as well. We are going to have a great show. We have a, a interview that I did today. Went a bit long, so I want to go ahead and get that started right away as I follow you guys in the chat as we listen to this very important interview here. It's not only for Texas, though it covers Texas Railroad Commission, but this is something that is happening all over the country with your groundwater and all these millions of oil wells that scattered throughout our country. Take a look at this and we'll then take it on the other side. You know, Gavin Newsom is a great spokesperson for the Biden administration. And uh, I want you to listen to how I, I had a little mishap there. It seems like I didn't get that video in. Let me go ahead and, uh, and, and put that video in here. There we go. Our exactly. special guest today, Bill Ooh. Birch. Who, who is Bill Birch? Look, this is a guy that in the long run is going to clean up Texas, man, because he is going to be, we believe, the likely the railroad, the Texas Railroad Commission com commissioner. And a lot of people don't know what that does. But first of all, let's go ahead and bring brother Bill Virgin. Bill, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, sir. How are you? I am doing fine. Bill, tell us a little bit about uh, what the railroad commissioner does and why you decide to run for this position. The railroad commission is the agency that let's first and foremost start off with. It has nothing to do with railroads. This <laughs> is the agency that really manages our oil and gas industry. And that's why it is one of the most important conversations. It's an executive position in the state of Texas. And typically, you know, in most of the races, most of the years, when it comes up on the ballot, it comes up at like number six, number seven, and uh, even number eight sometimes. And honestly, people kind of got fatigued and are like, all right, what is this race? What is this about? What are, what do they want some engineer to run as a training commissioner for the state of Texas? Well, <clears throat> this year, because of the presidential cycle, we this race is number four on your ballot all across all 254 counties. And again, it's an executive position. It manages our oil and gas economy of 8% of our GDP, 2.2 plus million jobs, our environmental regulations, and also 330,000 miles of installed pipelines that move energy throughout the state of Texas. This is an incredibly huge uh, opportunity to truly, truly change the future of Texas because, again, this agency has literally what is Texas? Texas is energy, Texas is oil. I mean, even our license plate have got a Derek on it, right? So when you really look, really look at what the agency is responsible for, this is really about what the future of Texas and our economy is. Well, and you just said it. The, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, uh, Texas still has a, a strong oil economy. And the, what one would ask is that in, in an economy that still has some dependency on oil, that it is done the right way. It's not going to disappear 
today, it's not going to disappear tomorrow. So therefore, it must be managed in a manner that is consistent, environment, uh, consistent environmentally, fiscally, etc. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what are your in, your current environmental concerns with what's occurring and, and what needs to be done? Thank you. And that's exactly why I'm running. So I'm an oil well firefighter. I've been in the oil and gas business for 23 years. I've worked in over 60 plus countries. And I was one of the people that was involved with the Deepwater Horizon bringing the end to the worst oil spill in the U.S. Gulf of Mexico's history. And I can tell you that when I got called out to the Antina Cattle Company Ranch in Monahans, Texas, which is just a little bit west of Odessa, two, two summers ago in June of 2021, I couldn't believe what I physically saw on the ground. These old plugged wells that were plugged in the 1970s, 1980s, 2000s uh, were, were failed and were actually flowing this toxic radioactive isotope produced water at surface into the groundwater. And I was recalled out to the first one, the Estes 24, uh, which was an old Gulf oil heritage well that was plugged 1995. It had blown back out and had failed through the cement plugs and corroded through the casing and was flowing into the groundwater. Uh, I, I was truly flabbergasted to witness the state of affairs of what was occurring in Crane County, Ward County. And further after I've looked into this problem more, it's further south even into Reeves County and Pecos County. So literally there are four counties in West Texas that are under this massive whatever's happening in the subsurface we we don't have enough information right now at the moment to know exactly what's the causation and what are the pathways but something is happening in the subsurface out there due to our saltwater disposal from the oil and gas waste management side that is causing massive contamination to our groundwater so fast forward a little bit to june of 20 i'm sorry to january of 2022 Suddenly, about two miles south of the Antina Cattle Company Ranch, out in the middle of a farmer's field, uh, a well blows out. A well that doesn't even exist in the records. Puts a column of this toxic radioactive produced water 150 feet in the air. Are you talking about just shooting out straight up into the air? Straight up out of the ground. Yep. Blew out on its own January 1st morning of January 22. Uh, It's called the Crane County Geyser. You can do a Google search and take a look at some of the great photos and images. Uh, nobody knew it existed. Uh, the records are still not un, are not clear as to if that's the well record we think we found. We're not sure if it's truly correct or not, but we think that's the well. Uh, and uh, that flowed for almost six weeks until it was under control. Uh, and that well was not killable. It was a case where we capped it and we were able to get the flow to stop, but we were unable to stop the source of the flow. And then... Wait, wait, wait. What, what, does that, what does that mean? You, were, you stopped the geyser from occurring... Which means Correct. you plug that particular hole. But when yeah, you we say got the that top capped. Right. Now when you say well, we it's flowing, are you saying it's seeping through the, the porous rock or something? Yes, sir. It's still flowing in the subsurface. We are unable to at this point find any technology that can actually stop the subsurface flow. The pressure regimes that have been created in this area are so extreme that literally we have no technology to stop these scenarios. This is the reality of what we're truly dealing with in West Texas. Uh, Again, I I think this is important because right now where there's a whole lot of fracking occurring, all that that fluid has to get disposed of. That fluid is toxic in that you said it has some radioactive isotopes, etc. And what the way we've been disposing it is we've been drilling wells put in these under pressure. And I think the last time we spoke, you said the pressure point was 
making sure it's below the breaking point of the rock under which it is placed. What you're telling me is that there are, there may be fractures that are starting to occur given the high pressure that these things are placed under. Isn't that something that should have been foreseeable? It was foreseen. And what, what's the most amazing part to me is that when you go back and look at the University of Texas geophysics studies and SMU's uh, seismic studies, they've shown the direct increase in seismic activity since the disposal started in 2009. And we are sitting here in 2024 now with three of the five biggest earthquakes that have ever occurred in West Texas's history that have occurred in the last 18 months. And the Railroad Commission is like, well, may- maybe there's something wrong. The reality is that there's literally 2,200 earthquakes a year in Reeves County alone, and that number is still growing. The the fact that this rock is breaking and it's creating these pathways, and again, I'm not a geophysicist, so I'm not going to try to, you know, try to come up with theories, and I'll let the future PhD students get their theses on this uh, subject of mechanisms. But something is happening in the subsurface from our saltwater disposal wells. We don't quite know the pathways. We don't quite know how many wells are involved, how big the aerial extent is. But what we do know is that there's over 150 wells in this region that are currently failed, flowing at surface today that are in a state of cross flow flowing into our groundwater. And that is a fact. And what amazes me is that when we had the December 7th approach, which was a blowout that uh, if you saw it, maybe in the Houston Chronicle, there was the well that was about 400 yards to the east of what we called the Crane County Geyser. This well, 400 yards to its east, is a ghost well. Again, another record that doesn't exist in the Texas Rural Commission's database. Flowed from 600 feet all the way to surface on its own. Now, to, to wow. put this in perspective for people outside the industry, we've never in the industry's history seen a scenario where a well broached on its own without direct causation or human interaction of some mistake that caused the broach. This broached on its own. And that is truly outstanding in terms of the mechanism of whatever's in the underlying driving force, which means it came through three different groundwater layers in order to get the surface and flow. So when we flew the drone over top of it and we got the drone footage, of course, the tech, what did the Texas Railroad Commission do? Instead of acknowledging and trying to address the problem, they called the FAA and filed a no-fly zone. So this is the reality in which we're dealing with is an agency that uh, legitimately is trying to cover public release of information and is intentionally trying to downplay the severity of the risk of what's occurring in West Texas to ranchers and farmers. Look, if you've ever spent any time in West Texas at all, if you don't have groundwater, you don't have the ability to run cattle, you surely don't have any ability to irrigate, and you really can't live. The the reality of having fresh, clean water in West Texas is mission critical for the ability to sustain life in West Texas. Now, uh, you gave me a few weeks ago, a number that was hard to believe, the amount of wells that have been drilled in Texas. How many are they? There's at least 1.2 million records that we know of. And there's another two, three, four hundred thousand wells that were drilled. We don't have a clue where they are. Either the records are lost, the records were incomplete, the records were there was a fire at one point, as I understand, sometime in the late fifties, early nineteen sixties in Austin. The Railroad Commission lost records during a, a fire, unfortunately. Uh, my best guess is probably a quarter million wells or more that we don't have a clue where they are in the state of Texas. And so, each of these are potential and all of these have the potential of flowing into groundwater, which means mm-hmm. scattered throughout Texas, we could be running into a groundwater debacle. 
for sure. We already are. It's already happening in the state. And it's 253 of 254 counties. There's only one county in the state of Texas that doesn't have oil and gas wells drilled that we have a record for, and that's El Paso. So, you know, if you ever need a good bar trivia question, there you go. Uh, but realistically, in Harris County, a lot of folks say, well, this is a West Texas problem. Why should I care? It's not relevant to me. Well, go back in the city of Houston's history just a little bit and realize that at the turn of the century, we drilled all over Harris County. Uh, there are 15,500 oil and gas wells drilled in Harris County. City of Houston well, has oil and well, gas wells. Let me, let me tell you, I, I, this was shocking because I knew I had you scheduled on and I was going to ask you about this. I was driving through on 529, I think it was, or 528, I don't remember which highway. And there's a subdivision that's built up and there's a hole within that subdivision where there is an oil well and it is, mm -hmm. you know, the and, and it is pumping. working. Yep. And I'm sitting down and I'm like, wait a minute, in the middle of a subdivision here in Texas, there is an oil well in Cyprus. Uh, yes, sir. I couldn't believe it, you know. Remember, Tom Ball was named for Mr. Ball, who was part of the railroad industry, who was moving oil on the rail cars from Tom Ball. Like, oh. people forget the fact of the city's history. And one of the things in particular is that you got to remember in Harris County, there's only 300 active wells left. Mm -hmm. uh, that are most of them are gas storage. There's a few active pumpers still, but but not terribly a lot of active wells. We have fifteen thousand two hundred oil and gas wells that were drilled that are plugged in Harris County currently. That I can guarantee you are not plugged any better than what they were in West Texas. Now the only difference is they don't have the external force that has been applied from the saltwater disposal. Yet. Right. But the fact is they're not plugged adequately, and these are long term risks. Remember, I tell folks in the campaign trail. We drilled holes through rock that is millions of years old and removed barriers in order to access the resource. These are holes in the ground that are going to be there 10,000 years from now because in geological time, that is a blip. Right. The reality is that 10,000 years from now, these holes are still going to be there in the ground, except our casing is going to be failed and our cement is going to fail long before that. So we're going to have to constantly monitor, manage, and maintain these wells for millennium. And these wells were designed for 25 years life cycle. That was it. That was all they were designed for. Hey, Bill, uh, recently, and folks, we're here with Bill Birch, who is running for railroad commission uh, commissioner on, uh, on the Democratic ticket right now. And uh, he has been driving around Texas. I am very impressed for all the places that he's told me he's been. But there's one story, Bill, that you told me about that. That gave me a nightmare that day when you said you were driving along the road and you happened to see this meter out and you looked at it and it was in near fail state. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what people can look for as they are moving around in campgrounds or whatever, where some of these things would be? Yeah, so that was the case when I was driving up US 59. I was just outside of uh, a little bit north of Cleveland, Texas, around Cold Spring area. And I wanted to show an example of what an abandoned oil and gas well looks like for people who really don't know what the locations look like. And there's a place on the east side of 59, just a little bit north of Shepherd, that has got a kind of a tank laying over on its side. So uh, I decided to walk up and the dog had to go to the bathroom anyway. So I figured, all right, wait, why not? Let's shoot a TikTok video. So uh, I go rolling up and sure enough, there's the old old oil and gas well and gas well in this track um, sitting over a little bit further away from the location. 
and it's all overgrown with weeds. And I walk up to it. And uh, sure enough, there's 800 PSI on the surface gauge. And what does that you know, mean? One of the th- so I, that actually would indicate a, sub- a very high pressure, severe risk on a well that's over 50 years old, on a well that is sitting there idle with no operator and no oversight by the Texas Federal Commission. And in my professional opinion, that well is probably flowing in the subsurface uh, already in East Texas. And 800 PSI. So I certainly hope that the pressure gauge is broken and that the uh, the number is incorrect, which of course it always could be a scenario that exists. We have to double check the actual pressure with a new gauge. But the reality of this scenarios and the states of where we are in the, in the oil and gas industry across the state is proof of pudding that the conditions in the oil field are not acceptable. This is right next to a major thoroughfare highway. This is a well that has got potential burst risk. Again, a 50-year-old piece of casing that is in the ground that has got a severe risk of high pressure. At least 50% of its burst rating of on pressure right now is on that current piece of casing. And again, would I trust something that's 50 years old to put 50% of its maximum yield against it? No. Like this is not a scenario in which the oil and gas industry is prepared to deal with on these old these old wells. And this is the state of affairs. And the Rare Commission is not responding and not adequately taking care of and managing and monitoring and maintaining the fleet and inventory of wells that we have in the state of Texas. And I'm not blaming the Rare Commissioner, uh, the, the inspectors for this, because again, there's only 186 inspectors that have to manage 400 plus drilling rigs. They have to manage 1.2 million plus wells. 300, 400,000, which are currently in active status and the rest are plugged, uh, and 330,000 miles of pipeline. There, there's no way physically possible 186 people can cover 250. I, I think, uh, first of all, Bill, let me just push back a bit. I think you're being too kind. Uh, bluntly, I think you're being too kind. Uh, there, there must be blame going around. We are a state that pushes energy, pushes energy. We're a state that talk drill, baby, drill, baby, drill. All those things are what our current leadership push. I'm not going to go into the mechanics of drill, baby, drill or anything of that. But I'm going to say if you're going to drill, do it responsibly. If you're going to if you're going to have a a commission, do it responsibly. And that's not what they've done. Uh, You talked about case. First of all, tell people why wells need casings and, and, and what that really is. So they understand the severity of what, when you talk about a one point, by the way, the 1.2 million wells, are they all case hole wells or some of them are just open hole? So they are all case holes. All right. Uh, Why don't you explain what that means? Well, so first, when we drill a well, the first and foremost responsibility is to cover the freshwater. So the very first string of casing, which is usually a large diameter steel pipe. So something in maybe your order of nine and five eighths or 13 and three eighths inches. Uh, we will install it in the ground. Sometimes it's 20 inches. It's even bigger, uh, depending on how deep we're going. Uh, and we'll cement that back to surface so that that way there is protection of the groundwater. And then there's a steel barrier that also prevents any oil and gas from getting into the groundwater at the intervals where the groundwater layers are. So in other words, you have, you have cement and that covers a, a, a steel casing of some diameter. Correct. And typically, because they're very low pressure, we don't expect to see high pressure load on the groundwater side. Typically, the casing is relatively low grade. 
So we don't typically run a very high tensile yield or a very high, a very expensive exotic material for surface casing. Because again, why would there be the scenario realistically that you should ever see cross flow or see high pressures? Involved? Exactly. Right. Because there's not supposed to be. So right. the reality is that the regular design load of most of these old casings and the wells we've drilled is just simply to isolate the groundwater from any hydrocarbon. That's coming up to this flow. Right. Correct. Now, the deeper strings, the intermediate string, the, the, the next section we drill, or the production string, which actually goes into the high-pressure reservoir. Now, those are usually a lot higher pressure strengths. They're obviously a little bit smaller because they have to fit inside. Think of it like concentric, concentric right. pipes. So one pipe has to fit inside the other pipe, which has to fit inside of another pipe. So the steel that we run on those has a tendency to be much thicker, higher pressure. And again, sometimes wells will have four, five, six strings of pipe in them, depending on how deep you're drilling and how far you're and what kind of pressure regimes you have. So we isolate in zones as we drill, depending on where the pressure gets to a certain point where the, we know that the pipe can't handle it. And then we'll set the string of pipe, we'll cement that in place, and then we'll drill the next section. So are you cemented? If, you're, if you have a well that's 2,000 feet deep, is that case in cemented all down that two fi- 250 feet? No. So what happens is, well, in the case of like something surface, uh, a shallow well, like let's say, for example, 2,000 foot deep, we'll set the surface pipe, let's say nine and five eighths. We'll cement that back to surface. So we'll set mm-hmm. that maybe 200 foot deep mm-hmm. and we will cement that all the way back to surface. And then we'll drill from 200 feet to 2,000 feet potentially in one run. And that will be one string of pipe, but we won't bring that set of cement all the way back to surface. We'll only cement maybe the bottom four, five, six hundred feet of it. So think of it almost like you're tacking, mm-hmm. you're tacking that capacity of that steel pipe at the bottom. And again, usually that's more than adequate. Once you produce it and you manage it, that's usually adequate. And then when you go to plug and abandonment long term, you the whole thing is plugged. Yeah, you'll plug that whole thing out and you're and you walk away from it. So in principle, the, the design is correct, but the reality is that A, we didn't always get good bonding. We didn't get good cement jobs when we did a lot of these. And B, we've changed the subsurface conditions. These wells that were drilled 50, 60, 70 years ago never anticipated seeing these pressure regimes that were now were mm-hmm. we've now artificially created with the saltwater. Exactly, the because the pressure is greater than what it was at the time that you drill. Let's go ahead and get Joe into the conversation. Joe, come on in and ask your question for Bill. Thank you for being here, brother hey, Joe. You got it, man. Hey, hey, um, uh, Bill, I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a, uh, a midstream downstream guy, and and um, um, but but you know what you're talking about is, is I've heard about it, um, you know. So what you're saying is that is that um, you know the, the, the hydraulic injections that are causing an unintended consequences, rising in pressure of these legacy abandoned wells. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes, sir. And that is exactly it. The Unfortunate scenario we are in today is that the legacy wells weren't plugged correctly. The saltwater disposal that has occurred has doubled in some cases the pore pressure of the deeper intervals, and that that is now causing exacerbation of both the cement failures and also the corrosion on the uh, casing strings. And it's it's happening all across the state of Texas. We have in East Texas, South Texas, and West Texas. Did I understand Egberto to say you're running for railroad commissioner? Yes, sir. I'm the Democratic candidate right? for the Texas. Yes, sir. Hey, man, anybody but George P. Um, but um, um, uh, another another question that 
so so you found this on 59 North, but uh, my understanding is out in West Texas, there are lots and lots of legacy um, wells that really, I mean, you need, it seems to me that, that your priority might be, you know, uh, uh, get enlisting some help of some like forensic accounting people to track down who really ultimately is responsible for uh, improper um, um, plugging and abandonment procedures, right? Is that is that something y'all do in the Railroad Commission? Yeah. So first and foremost, the West Texas problems are significantly worse than the East Texas problems. And, but I wouldn't rule out South Texas. So South Texas is somewhat of a sleeping giant because remember back in the 1920s and 30s, there were a lot of wells drilled around Corpus Christi and in the coastline areas that are well into a state of uh, failure and uh, corrosion and uh, dilapidation at this point. I mean, there's simply, you know, 70, 80, 90 year old wells now in the ground. Uh, the biggest thing in West Texas is that that's where the vast majority of the saltwater disposal issues are occurring across the state of Texas. And that's why we're seeing it be the epicenter, not only from the earthquake side, but also from these what we're calling zombie wells, these old dead plug wells that are now back alive and flowing. Um, hence kind of the zombie moniker. Um, the, the issue that we're really having is that it's not so much knowing where, I mean, yes, there are wells. We don't know where the records are and we do have issues. I would say that the, probably the bigger issue is the fact that over the last 40, 50 years, the Texas Railroad Commission has failed to witness and validate and verify the plugging jobs that have been done on the wells and have assumed that the operators are doing it right. And like I say to folks on the campaign trail, self-regulation doesn't work. Jump on the highway, do 150 miles an hour, go call your local sheriff and turn yourself in for speeding and let me know what the sheriff says and let me know when it really happens. <laughs> it doesn't work. And the reality of assuming that people always do the right thing based on some some principle of integrity is a false assumption on us as a regulator and the industry. We know that people have not done their correct thing. We know they have lied and they have not they have not had the best intents on plugging some of these wells. Because again, when you plug a well, there's no return on your investment. This is a pure cost play to exit the field and exit the well. So you want to do this as cheaply and quickly as possible. And the reality is that what's failed in the industry's mentality over the last 50 years is the fact that nobody wanted to address the fact that these are going to be potential problems that are going to resurface over the next century. And we have to change our design mentality to think, okay, I have a 25-year production life cycle and this project's in active play for 25 years, but what does it look like sitting in the ground for the next century? Just sitting there idle. Do, have we done everything we need to do to make sure it's isolated? Go ahead, Joe. I got, I got to push back a little bit. I got to push back right here because, you know, I, I work I work for Big Oil and I, and I talk to people from the Texas Railroad Commission every year as I'm getting audited, um, um, for various things, right? And and, you know, I am on the I'm an environmental steward for 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 all of us, right? I am on the front lines of of. of of guarding against environmental damage, right? And so is every every single person I work with is the same exact way. And we work for uh, we work for a big a big company, right? That, um, but but I got to push back and say, you know, people don't do the right thing because um, my, me and our corporate way is to absolutely do the right thing, uh, no matter what. Everything you do, you should do. As if it's going to be on the front page of the newspaper, everything, and and we walk the walk, dude. Seriously, um, and and you know by by being by being good um, stewards of the environment, 
it, and you know, I get, I get, uh, we get audited with no findings all the time. And you know what that, to me, that seems to do is all that does is increase regulatory interest, right? Because, because we're, we, we do, we, you know, we do everything right. The, the um, agencies push and push and push and, and waste more. And honestly, it is at this point, it's wasting our time, you know, because we do try to do everything right, you know? I can't let, speak to 50 years ago. Joe, can I push back a bit? Joe, let me let me interject here because I think this is so important that we need to make sure and get it. I don't have any doubt, let's say, from your company, your big company that's doing the right thing. In fact, a, a, a good oil man friend in Kingwood here came to me and he, he watches a program and sometimes he pushes back and he said, Egberto, we are we agree with you, but. But it's the little guys that don't do the job, whatever. Let's assume that it's correct. And Bill is shaking his head when I when he says, you know, the little drillers that that cut corners or whatever, because the big guys cut corners, they're going to be penalized. But here's the reality. I think Bill gave the perfect example. You are after you've driven down a highway at one hundred and fifty miles an hour. Do you go to the sheriff and said, I done sin? Uh, Please go ahead and find me for having sinned or for having gone too fast? The answer is no. Likewise, if you look at the evidence, what you're saying is perfect, Joe, what your company is doing. But what Bill is talking about is throughout the state with zombie wells leaching into our groundwater. And look, once you've contaminated groundwater, está terminado, it's over. Because again, there's nobody that's going to dig up all the shale around that or the porous rock, get it out of there, clean that. I mean, it's impossible to actually do that. And what we're saying is there are a lot of failed wells out there, geysers occurring because of the saltwater pressure, cracking the subsurface rocks. All of that is not a, it's not a speculation. It's what's happening. So uh, it, it doesn't matter that your company is doing very well or doing its job. What matters is there are a hell of a lot of wells out there that didn't follow what you just stated. And we are living through that reality. And I think you must agree with that. Correct, Joe? Yeah, I do agree with that. Um, but and, 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 you know, that we need to find a way to 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 remediate all of these all of these old sites and keep it from happening in the future. But without unnecessary burden, like on on hey, current operations, I look, right? I look, I, um, look. You, I, I agree, Joe. I got to go to the other caller, but let me just tell you first of all, we agree that we never want excessive regulations. I'm with you. I'm with you. But also, we do need the regulations to ensure that what has failed thus far doesn't happen again. And I think you have to agree with that. Yeah, I just don't want to. I, I had to push back when, when I don't want us to all be painted with the same brush. But thank you. No, 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 much. you're not. Oh, oh, no, 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 Joe, you're not. We never do. We never do. Good operators, like you said, you're a good operator. Kudos to you, brother. But we got to go to the other call, Joe. And thank you so kindly for calling in. All right. You're welcome. Have a good one, Egberto. Thank you. You too. You too, my brother. Joni's on the line. Come on in, Joni. How are you doing this morning, my sister? Good morning, Egberto. Um, once again, maybe showing a little bit of limited understanding of things, but um, just about the issue of, of fiduciary responsibility for corporations, can they be, if they think too far into the future so that it 
puts a, a profit margin within a certain limited amount within a time frame um the fiscal year couldn't they be sued uh corporations be sued by their shareholders for thinking too far into the future and taking these um precautions spending too much money and therefore cutting into the shareholders bottom line can they be sued for that let's go to bill for that i know I, 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 let me let me qualify that question a bit because i think what you're saying is uh, if, if if companies take too much responsibility to make sure things don't happen can the shareholder say, well, you don't really need to do that. You're messing with our profits. So uh, you don't need that. Let's let's go ahead and uh, get Bill to answer that. OK, I'm going to let you go. So that's a, thank you, Joni. Well, thank you, Joni. That's a great question. And I I am going to take a little bit different spin on that in that do corporations take enough responsibility to truly prevent accidents, injuries and incidents, which actually cost the injury, cost the industry more than actually doing it right in the first place? This was the whole principle of the safety culture that was developed post Piper Alpha uh, in 1990. That was the realization that it's actually cheaper to do it right the first time and prevent injuries, accidents, and failures than it is to pay for litigation and the legal department to constantly have to manage lawsuits and manage the outcomes and the payouts for fatalities and environmental disasters. The in- the industry still has this mentality that profit exceeds social governance and social responsibility in the environments in which we work. And that is still an overarching principle that the Railroad Commission is helping also to propagate throughout the state of Texas, that profit matters more than health, safety, and environment. And they prove that with Winter Storm Uri. You know, go back to Winter Storm Uri and who was the agency that took the failure? Was it the Texas Railroad Commission or was it ERCOT? It was ERCOT. Mm-hmm. That shows you the power of the Texas Railroad Commission. The Texas Railroad Commission was fundamentally responsible for winterizing and confirming the winterization of our gas infrastructure and critical infrastructure, as pointed out by the federal government in 2011 after the the winter storm hit Dallas, Texas. And when the federal government told the Railroad Commission it is in Texas's best interest to make sure that the ga- the critical gas infrastructure is winterized, the Railroad Commission said, no, it'll take too much profit away from our gas producers. That's a fact. And the reality is that 10 years later, we had Winter Storm Uri. We had $3.5 billion of bonds that was passed to the taxpayers because the Railroad Commission failed to winterize the main gas line. There was a ton of money made in the short squeeze that occurred. That was also part of the reason for the bond. And there's what, 200 plus people dead from the reality of mm-hmm. lack of winterization. And, and I tell folks in the, in the campaign trail, it's not even the 200 people dead or the $3.5 billion bond. You know where it affected every single Texan? It was in your homeowner's insurance because mm-hmm. the insurance industry paid out $100 billion for water damage due to the power being out that caused the water lines to break and fail. And that is why you're seeing a massive increase in the state of Texas for your homeowner's insurance, which again, every single Texan is paying for because of the Texas Railroad Commission's inability to manage the winterization of the gas lines. Now, I'm going to say corporation. So, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Please go ahead. Please finish. I was going to say in the overall essence of corporate responsibility, the more you do in prevention and the more you do to make sure you don't end up in litigation, the cheaper it is in the long term, the more profits you will make in terms of being it right. And the super majors all know this from a philosophical point of view. And it's the vast majority of the smaller independent operators who are looking to, like we used to joke, some of the corporate models were leave no corner uncut. 
the reality is that if you operate in that mentality of cutting every single corner to make an extra dime and quarter, at some point you're going to spend dollars or hundreds of dollars to be able to sort out your litigation mistakes. It's not in your best interest long term. Bill is very nice. Bill is very methodical <laughs> in the way he speaks. And I'll be frank. Sometimes this drives me crazy. Bill comes out and he tells us a truth. Uh, it wasn't the windmills or the solar panels that caused the freeze out as our governor lied to you about. Our governor looked in your eyes and our governor lied to you. Our industry was told. Our in, in fact, the, a lot of the windmills saved our butts. Our industry was told to weatherize the pipes. What failed us during the uh, during this winter, that winter that that winter was that they froze up and the gas turbines went down. That is what caused it. Your governor. Look at your ins your home insurance rates right now. That should be directly on the back of your governor and what they did not do and made the railroad commissions do. Bill is not going to tell you that Bill is running for something here. And he's being as kind and as nice. He wants to do what's right. But that is what happened, folks. You were lied to and it's coming out of your pocketbook. Notice my a Caribbean phrase that we used to use. It was called uh, a pay, uh, it was called lazy man work twice, which means if you don't do things up front, you're going to do it again. In the case of our pipelines, the leaks are causing big problems. Bill was too nice. They lied to you and it's costing you. Let's go to uh, Miss Bowie. Come on in, Miss Bowie. How are you doing this morning? I'm well. Good morning. Good morning, Houston. How are you? How are you, Egberton? I am How fine, my friend. Talk to me. Okay. So I just had a quick question um, for uh, your guest there. Bill Birch. Um, yeah. Bill Birch. I wanted to know what... Um, his in his thoughts on the fifth ward and what's happening with that, um, with the whole cancer cluster and the train uh, situation and, uh, you know, the new building um, moving residents in when they still haven't dealt with the whole cancer issue in the community. That was it. Thank you. Thank you so kindly, Melissa. So it's a great question. And, you know, again, the Texas Railroad Commission has nothing to do with the train industry anymore. The rail, the, all of the railroad industry has been moved to TxDOT. And the fifth ward scenario is actually a TCEQ issue because they are the agency that actually manages our air and soil emissions uh, and issues. Now, let's be realistic. The House, Texas House Republicans and in the uh, Senate have basically made TCEQ the worst funded agency in the state of Texas intentionally, just like the Railroad Commission doesn't want to really manage and monitor the industry for the fact that it is in the best interest of corporations to maintain their highest profit margins to not having to have environmental regulations. And we are now seeing this with the TCEQ in terms of how they're managing and looking at the fifth ward issue with the cancer clusters. Now, from an analogy point of view, it's the same thing in oil and gas. We have lots of areas. When I took my campaign team out to West Texas and I got to let them see the actual oil fields, some of the old oil field, not the new stuff, not the stuff we drilled in the last 15, 20 years that everybody's talking about in the shale oil well scenarios. Those are high tech, very well run facilities. It's the older stuff. 
And when you drive around the state of Texas, and as I've pointed out a lot of these scenarios, and I say, would you like to live next to this constant smell? Would you like to live next to this facility? And their answer has been a resounding no. And again, we have proven cases in the oil and gas industry of wells and cancer clusters and asthma and and, uh, kidney cancer and liver cancers that have occurred from oil and gas operations and people living next to it. And here's, here's the conundrum, Egberto, when we talk back a little bit about your, your comment around the uh, Cyprus area and the discussion of an oil and gas well. You know, if you go back 50 years ago, that was rural Texas. Mm-hmm. Environmentally, we didn't worry about what happened in the farmers back 40 because the reality was that it wasn't anywhere near our civilizations. It wasn't anywhere near subdivisions. The reality is, is as our cities have grown, as Dallas-Fort Worth has grown, as Houston, Texas has grown, as San Antonio and Austin are becoming one megaplex, the reality is that our oil and gas fields are no longer in the farmer's back 40s. They're actually now in city limits. They're actually in next to schools. They're into you know, shopping malls. And it, you can drive around now and literally see oil and gas wells in our working infrastructure of, of development. And again, we never thought in a million years... 50 years ago that that was going to be the scenario and we drilled these wells. So we always thought, oh yeah, no big deal. It's out in, you know, out in the backyard. And if something happens, there's plenty of distance between a homeowner and an event. And the reality is it isn't. So we have to realize in the industry that the future of where we're going with this is that our oil and gas operations have severe effect on our communities. And unfortunately, in a lot of these scenarios, our marginalized communities take much more of the hit. Like I always say to folks, if this happened in River Oaks or Tanglewood, and there was an issue of a leaking pumping pump jack well sitting in River Oaks, I guarantee you it would be fixed. I mm-hmm. guarantee you that would be one of the top state-of-the-art facilities that was run in the country if it was in River Oaks or Tanglewood. The fact that it is in the Fifth Ward, and the reality is that people are like, ah, it's Fifth Ward. That's not the right answer. And, and again, the Rail Commission doesn't have anything to do with the railroad industry anymore and the Fifth Ward issues. But I have to say that the overall impact of how TCEQ operates and how they have managed the state's legacy issues is awful. They have done an absolutely crap job on truly addressing the cancer clusters and the creosote issues that are occurring. And, you know, again, this is all across the state of Texas, folks. The, the reality of what's happened in this state, and, I, and now I'm not going to be kind, Egberto, you're going to be proud of me. The Republicans in this state have removed every single environmental stewardship bar intentionally to basically turn the state into a Superfund site. And, and I tell folks, that's fine. If that is the direction that this state really wants to go is turn into a super fund, then just let everybody know that their opportunity to move out of the state of Texas is now while they still have a fighting chance. Because if you truly get to super fund status and the EPA comes in and declares this an uninhabitable place for man and beast, the landowner doesn't get any remuneration. The EPA comes in, fences it off, just like in the East Coast. The landowner loses their value of their property with no ability to sue or any ability to be, have any kind of settlement case. And in the Permian acreage, for example, right now, there's 9 million acres of the Permian. East Texas has got millions of acres of oil and gas wells, and so does, so does South Texas. Like, we're talking about cordoning off and losing millions of acres of ground in the state of Texas long term. And this isn't the answer we want. Big oil owns 380,000 acres of West Texas due to contamination cases. And that's of what we've known as discoverable. We're sure that they own more than that because of having to settle out lawsuits and litigation cases. And from what I've heard, the vast majority of those cases they've settled out is over $100,000 an acre. So again, it's not in anybody's interest to want to see these scenarios settled out in court and landowners having to be bought out at hundreds of thousands of dollars an acre. 
Bill, let me go ahead and sort of close out this way. Um, let's say you are honored by the state of Texas to be elected. How are you going to go in as a team? Because everything takes a team. There's no politics done right without a team. There's none of the, all these things have a team. How are you, how would you actually get that done? So there's two things in particular in my mind that I really want to address. One is transparency and truly getting the issues on the table with where the state currently is, where the where the pinch points are, and where's the difficulty. And where do you get that information is from the 12 districts and the people on the ground. Those are the team that, as a commissioner, I'm supporting. This is like when you own a restaurant, you know, the, the, the owner of the restaurant still has to be even the bar back sometimes to help out the team. And what I see in the scenario of where we're at in the Railroad Commission is that we have three commissioners who don't even have coveralls, who can't put on work boots and actually go out in the field, let alone even knowing if they did what they were even looking at. So one of my biggest things I want to do is go out with the inspectors, see where their issues are, where are the issues we need to have improvement? What do they need to do their job better? What are the administrative staff struggling with to get sorted out? What are the things with the filing system that sucks? What are the things that we need to do to improve our system and make the Railroad Commission more efficient? Because again, I hear from midstream operators and operate and uh, upstream operators about the permitting process and how things are, are slow and antiquated and not done correctly. So there has to be opportunities for improvement to make the system better. And I certainly want to see it from our staff side, because again, we have such a limited staff. Unfortunately, I can't do direct hiring, but I would certainly advocate for increasing. And I've had, I have advocated on the campaign trail for a minimum of at least two inspectors per county in the state of Texas to give the opportunity at least to help to fight the ability to get more inspection and be able to respond faster to landowners and, and be able to oversee our drilling and our work over industry to make sure that the regulations are being followed. And again, it also comes down to training. What do the folks need to do their job more efficiently? What tools and resources do they need? So I think as a Texas Railroad Commissioner, your goal is to truly not just sit in Austin in the ivory tower and go to monthly meetings and look good on television. It really is about doing the work. And that's where I criticize the vast majority of our government is that, you know, I'm not a politician. I'm an engineer by heart. I want to see the problems. I want to, I want to identify the problems. I want to be able to quantify and measure the scale and issues and make sure we're tackling the right problems. And then I want to actually get out and get the resources to actually make it happen. So I think as a Texas Railroad Commissioner, then a lot of people say, Oh, we don't need another engineer. I, I disagree with that opinion. I think you really do need somebody at the Texas Railroad Commission who has the operational experience, the technical knowledge and the academic background to actually be able to work with one of the most complex technical industries in the state of Texas. And I say to folks all the time, you know, to be a DA, a district attorney, you have to be an attorney in the first place. To be a judge, you have to be an attorney. You have to understand the law. You actually have to have background in the, the, the area of practice in which you want to be a work in, right? But yet in the Texas Railroad Commission, we're happy to hire Grammy award-winning gospel singers who have never stepped put on a drilling rig in their entire career. That's one of our current commissioners. Wow. Again, we've well, got to address the issue that this has to be an agency that works for the people of Texas. And it's the agency that really is the arbitrator. It's not supposed to just solely solely, solely promote the oil and gas industry. Its objective is to be the arbitrator between landowners, surface owners, mineral rights owners, and the, um, the operators themselves to make sure that all parties are working mutually under the law and are respecting and, and enforcing the law. 
Well, thank you very much for the opportunity this morning. I'm Bill Birch, the 2024 Democratic candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, you can find more information about me on my website at Birch, B-U-R-C-H, for the number four, T-R-R-C.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook, of course. And I am happy to answer any of your questions in direct messaging. Don't ever hesitate. Uh, you can email me at info at Birch.com. My goal is to educate people on one of the most important races in the state of Texas, which is the Texas Rare Commission, number four on your ballot, the only executive position up for election this election cycle. And uh, it is something that uh, it's the worst named agency. It's the worst run agency. And it is legitimately the most powerful agency in the state of Texas. And we need to have a Democrat that helps enforce the rules. And it's not about changing the rules. It's about enforcement of the rules and improving our environmental stewardship while we continue to produce energy in the great state of Texas. So thank you again this morning for the opportunity. And I appreciate it, sir. Bill Birch, let me tell you, it's been a pleasure. And I, I thank you for being in the hotel, then getting out to your car, having your dog actually very quiet as you're able to give this interview. The man is on the road 24-7 promoting good uh, uh, good stuff, making sure we are informed. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right, my friend. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. That was Bill Birch. I, I re- this is one person I am rooting for. I am rooting for this man to win this election. So those of you in Texas, make sure he wins the primary here. Uh, We're voting early vote right now. And also make sure when it comes November, this is the kind of person that we need in office to protect our groundwater, etc. I tell you what, it doesn't matter if he's Democrat or Republican. In this case, he's Democrat. He's not one of those guys that are going to say, get rid of the oil industry or anything like that. Look, that's me, right? I, I want, to, I want to, to make the oil industry as small as possible because of what it, it, we, a green energy is inherently what we, where we want to get to. But he understands that we are going to be living with this for quite a while. Michael Rudnan has something very important here that I really want to read to the audience. And it says as follows. Uh, published 2012. Fracking is hardly leak proof. The gas industry has been studying an ongoing problem for decades and know it uh, full well. In a report titled uh, Well Integrity Failure Presentation, drilling service company Archer reports that nearly 20% of all oil and gas wells are leaking worldwide. A 2003 joint industry publication from Schlumberger, the world's number one fracking company and oil and gas giant, ConocoPhillips, cites astronomical failure rates of 60% over a 30-year span. Industry reports on the problem point to its persistence and the impossibility of completely preventing it. This is technically impossible. At most, in most cases, the industry only acts to try to repair leaks well after groundwater has been contaminated. Here, the after groundwater has been contaminated. Its track record of for fixing leak is plagued by bad planning, technical problems, and mishaps. This to imagine gas companies voluntarily committing to an eternity of costly maintenance on wells failing at every increasing rates is beyond credulity. Nor have regulators addressed the problem with any realism. The argument that regulation can lead to safe fracking is senseless. To frack a well, you have to cement it, and cement inevitably fails. Safe fracking is a contradiction in terms. Leaking oil and gas wells are more than statistics. Failure rates mean 
thousands across the nation have enough contaminants in their water and land to render them unfit for residential or agricultural use. They're left with homes they are forced to abandon and compromise their death. And all of that is paid for by you. As these in, these corporations fail, what happens is they go out of business. All the profits that were made on that fracking and elsewhere goes to work to the people with profits. They run off with the money. The corporation fails. And whoever owns the land, as, as Brother uh, Birch said, whoever owns that land, forget it. It's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Anyhow, uh, let's see what else we got here. Trump must come up with the full bond. Yes, I saw that. Um, uh, Fleming, I, I was watching that on the TV. Uh, please read the following link. Uh, AP News article, Trump, New York, Civil Appeal, Letitia James. Uh, I don't know what you want that to be read for Mike CSEC. Anyway, continuing. Uh, Egberto, thank you for reading that long comment out. It was important. Yeah, I saw that it was important. You guys are our research. We are all our com complementary research departments. And what we do here is uh, promote, promote, promote knowledge. Not re not regurgitating or parroting what we read in right wing news. Uh, we are be we believe in 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 fact based information. Wherever we were wrong, we say we're wrong, we correct it, and we move on. That is what it's all about. That is what it's all about. Uh, CSAC wants me to read a link. Donald Trump appeals before. Oh, I already saw that. I already saw that, brother. I already saw it. I just pulled it up. Um, okay. And, and that is what brother um, uh, Man, uh, Man was talking about. Uh, Fleming was talking about. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Egberto, there's a lot of comments. No, I don't have the time to read them. You're actually right. And what I have to do right now here is pitch a little bit for uh, for my local politics done right and ask all of you, those who have the wherewithal to do so, to please support the show. I need your support for the show to make sure we can keep bringing these types of interviews. Uh, so far, uh, politics done right has been very successful raising money for uh, KPFT. Uh, been doing a great job there. Uh, much less successful in raising uh, for politics done right here. Uh, let me get to Mike Cisak. Mike Cisak, how are you doing, my brother? Talk to me. Doing good. Mike, you're on. Uh, it's, it's almost yes, sir. four. Um, yeah, go link, ahead. The AP link I gave you, that I posted, uh -huh. that everyone's talking about. Okay, there's two issues, okay? Yes. Trump did two things. He went back to Egron and said, hey, look, mm -hmm. According to law, you know, we're supposed to be able to negotiate the penalty as far as the payment schedule and all that kind of stuff. Engron declined. Okay, that's that's mm -hmm. one issue. The second issue is that Trump and his lawyers did appeal to the higher courts to appeal this Engron decision. That's right. the link. I, I saw point. that as well. I saw two, that. I, two and by the way, separate issues. I get it. In Everyone fact, it was covered. I, I, no, no, they're not confused. Let me tell you, CSAC, they explained, the, the yes, lawyer explained it perfectly on MSNBC. And let me tell you what they said on MSNBC. They said the item number one, just as you just said, 
was to go ahead and uh, uh, negotiate. Nobody, they don't really have the right to negotiate, but they're going to bring the panel to discuss yes, that do. one. But as, I read them. Yeah, one. they're going to. Br- Okay, again, we're not going to argue that. I'm, I'm telling you what I, what the lawyer said on MSNBC. The five, the the the, the, the entire panel is going to discuss whether they will have that option. But until then, uh, he there was no denial, or rather, he is due for what the the, the judgment. Is. I mean, there's no change in judgment or anything. But I tell you what, we are at four o'clock. Uh, Mike, I appreciate you calling, uh, yeah. making that clear. The link that you asked us to look at, everybody can see it in the in the thing. Yeah. So they'll be able to see it. OK, they need to read it, though, completely. Separate. I've read. I Yes, I, 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 I read it. And I also the same thing that is in that link. I, I get it. And they they mentioned the two separate issues on MSNBC as well. They did. So, yes, we understand. Right. But, well, Mike, we talk tomorrow. Thank you. so, Mike, we got to talk tomorrow. Okay. Let's talk right. tomorrow, Mike. See you later. All right. Bye. F- thank you, brother. Peace. All right, folks. Like I said, very successful in raising money for KPFT, very unsuccessful in doing it here. So I'm asking you to please support the program here as well. Politicsunright.com slash support. Politicsunright.com slash support. That is how you can provide support for the program here. You can also join our newsletter by going to politicsunright.com slash newsletter. If you become a paid member of our newsletter, uh, rather a paid subscriber of our newsletter, all my books are there for you to read. Again, uh, you don't have to purchase any of the books, but if you don't want that, if you want to purchase a book yourself, you can go ahead and purchase all our books at politicsunright.com slash books politicsunright.com slash books please remember guess what shipping my new book uh what is it again tribulations of an afro-caribbean latino man i promise you you're going to love the stories in there why don't you grab a copy either the hard copy or the kindle copy they're both easy to read uh it's a it's a fast read uh it's a respectful read and it's not it's not a read to try to make people feel guilty or anything like that it is a good read if i must say it for anybody who's read it therefore tribulations of an afro latino caribbean man racism didn't stop my smile hope or journey forward please support the program best you can my name is egberto willies this is politics and right and you guys know how i end this baby i am what what am i again i'm out we spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.